The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! Okay, we're back, and we're now at episode 89 of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. I am your host, Lee Caravan Russell, and I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel Fourfingers Harper. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I, I do I do feel bad that uh, I, I, I was gambling. I wasn't gambling. I slept with somebody's wife. That was, oh. you know, I'm not, I'm not a gambler. I'm, I'm a hedonist, so, you know. Well, that's a good. That's a that's worth worth losing a finger for. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps, yeah. Really, don't just don't ask me which finger because you know there was that oh. was a choice. That was a choice. You had to you had to go the yakuza route and get your pinky cut off. I I understand. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're back. We're still on our uh, crime series, and we're going to be doing Snatch from two thousand. We're going to be talking about the movie Snatch. We're not going to be doing Snatch. Yeah, on the podcast, although some people might want to listen to that, but that's not happening on this podcast. So, uh, unfortunately, yeah. But we're going to be talking about that movie, and before we do that, we do have a little bit of house cleaning to do. First off, I'm just going to mention that I am currently going to be on two different. Well, I'm already on one, and another one's going to show up soon. Two podcasts that uh, I've recorded for this week. I was. Uh, lucky enough to become the new sort of, at the very least, guest host for James Murphy's City of the Dead sub-podcast to his Peck Slivs podcast. So we're, we're planning on going forward with that. We're going to be talking about Amicus Films. We're going to change up the formula of that podcast. If anyone here is actually familiar with that podcast, we're not going to go through every Amicus film. Uh, we're just going to basically focus on the horror ones now. I think we came to the conclusion that the reason that podcast was so slow was that it was hard to find some of these really obscure amicus titles that didn't fit into the horror genre. So we're going to avoid those. Yeah. Just for fun. I, I actually had to uh, like message one of the hosts to get to, to find that one so I could watch it before listening to that podcast. Um, yeah. So yeah, some of those, some of those are get really, really tough uh, to find as uh, you know, I think, I think some of the stuff we cover is obscure enough that, um, <laughs> you know, Maybe we should start including links to some of this in our <laughs> in our show notes. <laughs> right. The really obscure ones, you know, where there is some sort of quasi legal way to, to, to get it. So, you know. I know yeah. in the back channel we've been we've been talking about some stuff that's pretty obscure. So uh we'll we'll see how that goes. But um. Yeah. Uh but I, I did have a lot of fun on that podcast. <laughs> Anyone who actually listens to it uh, I apologize. My first appearance, my computer decided to switch my mic to my internal mic instead of my blue so- snowball without telling me. And so I sound like I'm talking in a tin can, but the conversation was still fun. And, uh, of course, James Murphy is uh, always enjoyable and brilliant. And we had a pretty good conversation about the host of Drip Blood from Amicus. So it's a lot of fun. Like I said, we're going to continue on with that podcast. We're going to be covering all the Amicus anthologies and all the single uh, horror films as well. 
and go through them. So that should be a lot of fun. And I think he's even going to expand after that from that concept and move outside of Amicus stuff as well. So we might be covering a lot of classic British horror in the coming months. That sounds awesome. I'm, I'm really excited to get to catch up with that because that is a great podcast. And, uh, you know, losing Holly is a, is a, a bad thing. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that it's just she's just busy with life, you know. So I, I don't think that that was something she didn't want to do. I yeah, can't imagine she, she just had well, a lot of stuff going on personally. So she's a she's a multi talented young woman. As much as I enjoy listening to her on podcasts, her talents are wasted on podcasts when she should be, you know, singing and doing her, her other stuff that she's interested she, in. She's got way better things to be doing than talking to us, basically. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um. And the other thing I just recorded today earlier on with my friend Duncan McLeish for his excellent the podcast Under the Stairs. Uh, we, we did The Prowler, which we actually covered on this podcast, and we also talked about Alone in the Dark from 1982. Not the Uwe Boll uh, shitty Alone in the Dark with Tara Reid and Christian Slater from like 2005 or whatever the fuck that was, but... Um, yeah, we, we, we talked those two slasher movies, and we had a lot of fun. Uh, Duncan McLeish is a fucking prolific podcast superstar, so uh, we, we had a really good conversation, and I think it will end up being a fun episode. I will link to both of those in the show notes, both those podcasts at least, and uh, of course I'll pimp the individual episodes. I already pimped the City of the Dead episode on our Facebook page, and when Duncan posts the uh, podcast under the stairs episode on Monday... Um, I will link that as well. So uh, I think it'll be uh, worth listening to for uh, our listeners here. If you if you haven't listened to those two podcasts yet, they should be in your rotation. I would agree with that, definitely. Hmm. And not just because uh, I actually haven't listened to the podcast on the stairs. I, I need to I need to pick that one up because I always listen to his voice on our promos and just go, man, that that man has a lovely voice. I, I should I should just sit and listen to this man's voice. You know if I he don't does. know what he's talking about. It would be worth it. He does. Now. I mean, I'll, I'll just tell you, instantly it was a love affair when we started talking. So, uh, yeah, I may, actually, he, like, brought my A game out of me just because I didn't want to suck on his podcast. <laughs> nice. So, that, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a good feeling. So what game do you bring to this podcast, just out of curiosity? I bring about my B-plus game, <clears throat> okay, sort of, okay. most yeah. times. You know, there's a lot of ums and ahs and pregnant pauses and stuff like that. I tried really hard not to do that on his podcast. I was, like, trying to check myself. So, so were you sober? I, no, I was drinking. This wow. has been a day of drinking. I drank on his podcast. I took the dog out after that and drank while playing with the dog. Then I took a nap, and now here we are, and I'm drinking again. So nicely done. I'm not, no complaints on my end. Um, you know, <laughs> thankfully, thankfully we've both been drinking for a while. It's not like we have a, uh, a high energy, um, kinetic film, something no. that, that has a lot of detail that really we're going to have to dig into tonight. So no. we should be fine. This is a very sure. languid, I kind of, you know, uh, almost, uh, almost abstract film that we have to discuss today. Yeah. Yeah. We're, I think we'll be all right. I think we'll be just fine. <laughs> But uh, yeah, we'll move on now, and we'll go right to the comments. We have three comments to get through here. Mike Murphy posted uh, on our Facebook group in regards to our Violent City and Revolver episode. Great episode, guys. Chuck Bronson in Italian Crime Films is a win-win for everyone. And yeah, I would agree with that. I think we sort of talked about how that was sort of really the, the kickstart of his career, getting to Death Wish and really blowing up. Like that, that kind of 
brought him back. Kit Power, under the comment thread for any anyone who had anything to say about Snatch, he says, in regards to Snatch, he really digs the soundtrack and the kinetic direction. We'll be interested in hearing your thoughts on the Shaggy Dog-style storytelling. Also, I can't help but still be kind of flummoxed at how Hollywood saw Statham in this and thought, yes, action movie megastar. I mean, I enjoy him in the film, but... <clears throat> Any sort of trails off there. Well, fuck, I'll reply to that right now. Um, sure. I think Statham's fucking awesome, and I think he's a legit action star. I mean, if, if you if you go into his background, he is a legit martial artist. Like, he is trained, mm-hmm. and he, is, he makes a point of doing his own stunts for the most part. I mean, he's, he's 50 now. He might, he might be cutting back on it at this point. But when he was getting into films, he was doing his own stunts. He was training with stuntmen. He, he actually gives a fuck about action films. He actually gives a fuck about making good action films. Unfortunately, a lot of really shitty films have come his way, and he's done his best in them, but he actually does realize and understand what makes a really good action film, and he pushes for that. So I think Hollywood was totally justified in taking you know taking him in and trying to make him an action star. It's just he was in a period <clears throat> where action films were just fucking the doldrums of cinema in Hollywood. Like he's, he's better. He's better than his era, basically. Yeah. He's better than the material he's in. And a lot of, in a lot of these kind of shitty direct video things. I mean, you know, I, I would never, I, I think I watched God, what, which one? Uh, the bank job, maybe something like that. No, not bank, that one. I watched, yeah. Because uh, the bank job's not really an action film. That's him just acting in that basically. Right. No, I, I've seen, I, I, I watched a couple of the like really shitty ones that were on Netflix like a year mm-hmm. ago. And you can like, tell how uh, big of a how big of an impression they made because I have no like conscious memory of them. Yeah, he's perfectly fine. I think he's uh, at least as good as. I mean, I said this on last week's episode, or maybe uh, after we after we finished recording. I think I think we kind of talked for a little while, and I can't yeah. remember how much we recorded. But you know, Statham is somebody who has that presence. He can definitely give you that action star vibe. He's just in the wrong era. He's a man right. out of time. Way, you know, if he'd been 15 years earlier, he could have gotten at the tail end of the kind of, kind of the big, you know, Arnie and, and Stallone action film era. And uh, he's just he's just not. I mean, uh, it, it's it, but it's not his fault. I think he I think he's amazing. You watch um, Snatch and I don't see action star here, but I see mm-hmm. badass movie badass. He's yeah. just he, he's playing it a lot softer. But I, I mean, again, you see this transporter and like that man's an action star. I mean, that's like full formed action star right there. Yeah, you know, no question. Yeah, like like you said, if he had come fifteen years earlier, he could have been like the good Steven Seagal. You know, the good well, non crazy Steven Seagal. <laughs> he would have he would have fit right in with uh Seagal, Seagal and Van Damme, but he would have been the one who could act better than both of them. Honestly, I mean I would take him it's not hard for me to imagine him in like Cobra. You know, he could have been Stallone, basically. Yeah, he could have done it. Like he he doesn't need the he doesn't need and it, I mean, you know, Stallone was pumped up in the '80s, but he wasn't Arnie size. I mean, he. No, no, no. I mean, to me, Arnie is kind of in a class of, on on his own. But yeah. like, I don't feel like, and and I, I'm not someone is a is, is a huge detractor of Stallone's. But I don't know that Stallone. I don't know that, that phenomenon. Like, I never really got Stallone in the way that I got Arnie. Arnie right. was always like, okay, yeah, I get that. But Satan could absolutely do those roles, and I mean, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and it's just it's just kind of the the bad luck of the industry he was when he was there, you know, but 
Uh, I think he's great. You know, you will not hear me say anything really bad about Jason Statham, probably ever, you know. Yeah, and at the end of the day, he's smiling to the bank because he's still making tons of money. I mean, it, it's just right. unfortunate that he doesn't get to be that A-plus action star that he should be. But, I mean, you know, fuck it. He's still, I think, in years to come, people will kind of realize and appreciate him a lot more. I, right. I think that will happen. So. Well, he's what? He's what, like 50 now? I mean, you know, yeah, he, he could... He's still, you could still imagine him being that. I mean, you know, we talked last week. Bronson was fifty, you know. Like, yeah, well, and he he is he he is like Bronson in that regard because he's still in super fucking shape. This guy was like a world class like diver and swimmer and shit before he got into movies, and he's always kept himself in shape. I've never seen that guy fucking slip physically. He just always looks good. So, I mean, he's got that same kind of functional fit kind of body type that Bronson had. So, I mean, right. he's sharp, he's good, he's believable. He's not, he hasn't aged in, like, 20 years. So, right, right. <laughs> I mean, Bronson had the unfortunate uh, thing of his face aging for, like, 20 years, even if his body didn't. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, there you go, Kit. You're wrong. You're totally wrong. And come on this yeah, podcast yeah. and fight with us about it at some point. <laughs> and the other comment and CB Fall uh, continuing the trend of probably not listening to the podcast because of the stuff we said last week he said very interesting reviews of both movies so there you go alright well way to go CB Falls yeah now so I think we, he's listening and deliberately being obs- obscure. Like he he's listening he, and enjoying and just you know he might be a great troll. He, he might be <laughs> yeah. an incredible troll. Who knows? I I don't give a fuck either way. I appreciate him being part of the podcast every week. So uh, yeah, yeah. there we go. We can move on to anything we've watched in the last little while. I have nothing. So uh, Daniel, I'll throw it over to you. Sure. I just wanted to uh, follow up on uh, something I talked about last week, and uh, I mean, it's TV. But I did finish Justified, the FX TV show. Finally caught up with the end of that. Ended up liking Season 6 a lot. Season 6 is uh, one of the better seasons. It, it, the series wrapped up really well. <laughs> There's a little bit of a greatest hits aspect, too, too right. you know, when they know it's going to be the last season and, like, you know, oh, let's bring back some characters you loved, and let's bring back some, you know, and um, it doesn't push too hard on that. It's it's integrated into the story, you know, so you don't feel like, oh, and then suddenly, like, this guy just shows up, and they give him some lines just to yeah. pretend he's there. But it ends well. It really kind of ends thematically. Um, it kind of connects back into the first season, and it's really about sort of, the, ironically, the economics of, like, coal country in a way, you know. it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's set in Harlan County, Kentucky. Oh, yeah. It's very much like you... It's it's very much of a piece with the um, Harlan County USA um, documentary from the seventies, um, so you can you can kind of connect those pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, the real reason I wanted to bring it up in the episode actually is just because in one of the final scenes, because um, I told you that um, Jacob Pitt, who played the other guy in Eurotrip, the uh, the horny guy. Right is in that show and he's one of the U S marshals and he's kind of throughout the show in one of the final scenes in the, um, like, uh, Raylan, who's a uh, Timothy Oliphant's character. Basically he's leaving the office and he's going off to do something else. And he, uh, tosses a book, like a paperback from his desk over to uh, Jacob Pitt's character. And it's a dog-eared paperback of the friends of Eddie Coyle. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. So um, oh, I'm uh, I'm probably gonna read that book at some point because uh, I you know I didn't I didn't love the movie, but I I'm wondering. I, I mean, I was reading some reviews. and It's like, oh, the book seems like people are really like 
have really great things to say about that. So we'll see. Maybe I'll. I've been reading a little bit more lately, so maybe I'll pick up that book and, and see if I can see see what it see what it's all about. So that is cool, anyway. though. I mean, I mean, when you think about it, Eddie Coyle does kind of fall into that uh, kind of world that Elmore Leonard talked about in a lot of his crime books. I mean, very much the low level criminals, right? right? Yeah. So, I mean, I one of these days, I think we're going to have to do some Elmore Leonard. And, and kind of talk in, in some detail about because reading I haven't read a lot of Leonard I've read three or four of his books um, same here yeah but I don't feel like any I mean I think uh, well there's one movie in particular that we're going to cover in the future that uh, I think is is probably the greatest of the Leonard adaptations and I think uh, Justified does really well but I think most people who and, and this also goes for Justified and the other film that we're going to talk about in episode 99, don't really get the, like, everybody's kind of a scumbag in all of his books, mm-hmm. you know? Like, there are no kind of morally just characters. Like, everybody's kind of, like, everybody kind of seems like they've got mud on their shoes just all the time. Everybody you know? everybody in his books are rum- running some sort of scam, some sort of game. Even, mm-hmm. if they're, even if they're not murderers and thieves, they're still running some sort of con some right. one way or another. Whereas I think in the, in the movies, you know, they, they kind of, uh, you know, even, even people who are running a con, you know, it's like, Oh, the, it seems like it's much more, Oh, it's justifiable or, you know, there are, there are no, there are no heroes in Leonard's books. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, or, or few, you know, and, and, uh, and I feel like that's kind of the, the, like Hollywood gives it a little bit more of a gloss. Yeah. You know? Most, mostly, mostly the heroes in his books are the victims that, maybe persevere along with yeah. the fucking scumbags. Even Jackie Brown in the book is a white woman. Like it's, it, yeah, it's Jackie it, Burke. Yeah. I, Jackie I just, Burke. I read, yeah. I read, I read Rum punch uh, last week as well. So, uh, yeah, no, I, we're okay. That's the Jackie Brown is the one we're going to cover. For yeah. So 99. Yeah. So yeah. Spoilers. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, when we get to it in 10 <laughs> episodes, nobody will remember. Nobody's listening. It's fine. It's all right. <laughs> but, Looking for something different in your podcast library? Then why not check out the podcast Under the Stairs? I'm the host Duncan McLeish and joining me each week will be a special guest as we examine some classic old school horror favourites as well as some modern classics. That's not to say that we don't tackle some of the, let's say, more questionable entries into the horror genre. And if all that wasn't enough, we have a subset of shows called Baz V Horror, where our horror novice, The Baz, tackles horror in all shapes and forms to see who will come out victorious. So what are you waiting for? The show can be found at podcastunderthestairs.wordpress.com and on Stitcher and iTunes. The Podcast Under The Stairs is a proud member of Legion Podcast Network. This is Duncan McLeish from Under The Stairs, signing off. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, Prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. 
I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie to jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of her. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you should be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history doll yeah, popping absolutely. up at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How be a rough How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops.
Moisture like sun Lays me down With my mind she runs Throughout the night No need to fight Never a frown With golden brown Every time Just like the last On her ship Tied to the mast Two distant lands Takes both my hands Never a frown with golden brown Golden brown, fine attemptress She's heading west From far away Stays for a day Never a frown With golden brown Okay, we can move on now, and we're going to be talking about Snatch from 2000, directed and written by Guy Ritchie. Frankie Fourfingers has a diamond the size of a fist. 86 carats. You know something that I don't? Jeez, it's flawless. Where? London. London. You know, fish, chips, cup of tea, Mary Poppins, London. What do I know about diamonds? I'm a boxing promoter. I've got a bare knuckle fight, so I want to use the pie key. Fetch your bachelor, can't you? Ah. What? You're going to have to repeat that. Fetch your bachelor, can't you? What? What is a gun doing in your trousers? Protection. Protection from what? The Germans. I've got the key, so give me the stone. The only man who knew the combination. You just shot. I'm getting heartburn, Tony. 
do something terrible. That is the stone. Heavy. Shut up and sit down, you big bald. So what should I call you? You can call me Susan if it makes you happy. I don't care if he's Mohammed, Imard, Bruce Lee. You're going down in the fourth round. Whoops. to declare yeah don't go to england uh status house frame furniture and uh scarf cushions with uh matching shotgun clothes did you understand a single word what he just said starring jason statham as turkish stephen graham as tommy brad pitt as mickey o'neill dennis farina as cousin avi Vinny jones as bullet tooth tony uh, Raids Cervagia as Boris the Blade, Alan Ford as Bricktop, Robbie G as Vinny, Lenny James as Soul, Addy, or maybe it's Aid, I don't know how to pronounce that one, uh, as Tyrone, uh, Benicio del Toro as Frankie Fourfingers, and Mike Reed as Doug the Head. And I will throw over to you for a synopsis there, sir. Okay, let's streamline this motherfucker. Mm-hmm. This is a dizzying, highly kinetic film that bounces around among about a dozen major characters among the low-rent criminals of London, but there are really only two major plot lines to follow, albeit plot lines that zigzag into one another and bud new subplots at the rate of about one every ten minutes. The spine of the story involves the theft of an 80-plus carat diamond from dealers in Antwerp by a man named Frankie Fourfingers and his crew. Frankie works for an American named Cousin Avi and is titanling it to London to meet with his fence, Doug the Head, who has lovely twin daughters who have essentially the only female-speaking roles in the film. <laughs> One of his crew, a Russian, gives Frankie a number to call when he reaches the city where he can buy a gun. This number reaches Boris the Blade, who hires a pair of pawn shop owners to rob Frankie of the stone as he enters a bookies. Frankie Fourfingers being the kind of guy who has a quote-unquote problem with gambling. Second, you've got a storyline involving Turkish and his partner Tommy, who are in the unlicensed boxing game, repping a giant of a man named Gorgeous George. And they've got a fight coming up in a couple of days, a fight put on by the vicious crime lord Bricktop. They're working out of a beat-up old caravan, which necessitates the purchase of a new one from a group of transients, or pikeys, which a bit of Googling convinced me isn't intrinsically offensive enough to be considered a slur, so I'm going with it. Turkish <laughs> Turkish sends Tommy and and Gorgeous George to the campsite to do the deal, and when the Pikes try to pull a fast one, the only way out of the situation with dignity and bank balance intact is to let George fight the kind of sort of leader of the group, an incomprehensible man named Mickey who turns out to be a bare-knuckled boxing champion. And here's where things get complicated, because the bookies from the first plot is owned by Bricktop, the crime lord running the boxing match, and after George gets injured during the fight with Mickey, Turkish is forced to use Mickey in the fight instead of George, a change which puts Turkish in Bricktop's debt and means that this fight isn't going to exactly be on the level. Cousin Avi, who set the whole plot in motion in the first place, is forced to come to London to hunt for Frankie and the Price of Stone, which doesn't bode well because pretty soon poor Frankie has a bolt in his brain and a tea cozy over his head, only one of which was put there by Boris the Blade, who is also known as Boris the Bullet Dodger, a detail which will come into play later in the film. <laughs> this is getting convoluted. What else? Let's see. Mickey the Pikey Boxer doesn't take a dive when he's supposed to. Turns out he's got a cannon for an arm, which leads to Bricktop taking Turkish and Tommy's savings as repayment. And when Turkish goes back to Mickey looking for another fight at Bricktop's request, Mickey declares he'll only do it if Turkish purchases a brand new caravan for his mom. He's a bit of a mommy's boy, you see. 
Also, the two pawn shop owners who were originally supposed to rob the bookies end up dealing with the dual problems of cleaning up the body on the floor, complete with Tico's but down missing an arm, and being sought out by Bullet Tooth Tony, who Cousin Avi employed after reviewing security camera footage from the bookies. Oh, and there are lots of dogs. <laughs> I applaud you, sir. <laughs> that is that's excellent. Ends with another boxing match, which doesn't go exactly as Bricktop planned, which leads to a violent showdown that was really more or less inevitable if you know who these players are, and a whole fucking lot of dead bodies. Who gets this <laughs> one in the end? Eh, if you've gotten this far, you should probably just watch the fucking film. Yeah. Wow. Very well done. Very well done. <laughs> I think you covered everything. <laughs> <laughs> I did not at all. <clears throat> this was uh, this was uh, this was one. Um, so shall we talk about the plot of the film? Because yeah, just uh, just just go into your 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 thoughts on this. Sure. Um, I uh, I saw this theatrically back when it was new, um, right. and uh, the first uh, Guy Ritchie film I ever saw. Um, it's still my favorite Guy Ritchie film by a, by a country mile. Uh, I really enjoy this film. I really loved it. I mean, this was one that I owned the DVD. I used to just put on just kind of as a like background noise all the time. You know, it was kind of one of those. I've probably seen it 10 times, 15 times, right. just kind of casually over the course of my life. I haven't seen it in a long time. And specifically, I haven't seen it since seeing the uh, Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes films. And I haven't seen it, certainly not since, um, kind of really looking at noir, like, structure a little bit more. Coming back to it, I once you kind of get the key to the film, is there are two basic plot lines, and everything's kind of in following one of those two. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the key to understanding, like, the story of the film, because I was really kind of, like, approaching this going, how do you synopsize this? And then rewatching it, I'm like, oh, there are two basic things happening, and they're just intersecting. And yeah. it makes me admire the film more, because it's not just, like, chaos that's kind of going all over the place. It really is very tightly structured. It's just kind of taking you down these kind of t- parallel paths that are parallel in this sort of Godelian space because <laughs> they don't uh, that they, they intersect so many times. Anyway, sorry, I'm I'm making my own jokes here. I really like this film. I really enjoy it. I kind of come at it maybe now a little bit less of an admirer just because it's a it's kind of an empty film. There's not a lot going on. It's it really is just like a delivery system to be kind of entertaining crime drama mm-hmm. and crime um, kind of a black comedy. And it really isn't doing anything other than that. Although there is a lot of kind of interesting stuff in it. God damn, is it entertaining. And it was a lot of fun to rewatch. And um, we'll see what we have to say about it. I really do love this film. I think probably we both come to it very much in the same way. It's, it's, it's kind of the thing we I was always watching back in the day. It's something I haven't watched for a long while, just like you, until uh, we brought it up for the podcast. And I think it holds up really well. Maybe you get some detractors who say, oh, it's just post-Tarantino riffing, and that's all it is, and it doesn't hold up as well. I totally disagree. I think this is a film that it's very fast-paced, never slows down. It does ape Tarantino in certain aspects, but I guess for lack of a better word, it has its own accent it puts on it and (laughs) holds up to this day really well. It's that era of film, right? Where Mm -hmm. after Pulp Fiction, well, after, I mean, Reservoir Dogs and after, Pulp Fiction was like the big one. And then suddenly everybody's fucking making gangster films where people are like having spiky dialogue at each other. It was super violent and we're going to cut back and forth and we're going to do all this. And, and, you know, and that's, and this is kind of the era where Jason Statham, like, man, wouldn't it have been nice if he had uh, 
been around a little bit earlier because, you know, basically action films became gangster films and they became like filled with conversations about Big Macs instead of, um, you know, actual action films. Ironically, I think that the issue, I mean, you know, it is, people like to blame Tarantino for this. Tarantino didn't do that shit. Tarantino didn't make the bad version. You yeah. know, his his films actually have something going on. There's some story happening. And I think if you're going to pull out of this era and kind of go, what are the real gems from this subgenre? I mean, you know, compare this to something like Smoke and Aces or like fucking Boondock Saints. Oh, God. The shit out of Boondock Saints one yeah. day. Because that fucking movie is terrible, and it it's had a, like a cult around it for for years. Yeah, and Snatch is like a thousand times as good as oh, I mean, Snatch is. I mean, if you're going to say that there is this subgenre where you know it's a bunch of gangsters being violent and you know talking about cheeseburgers in the post Tarantino era, Snatch is probably the, the best of them. I mean, I, I I don't I don't know of a better one. Quite honestly, I can't think of one. I don't even think this would even be in the same conversation as Boondock Saints or any of that shit. I mean, it's a really fucking good movie from start to finish. You're very much correct. It is shallow in some regards. Like, it's very much more about just presenting that really energetic, kinetic plot. Just goes boom, 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 boom. And you're always watching something. It never slows down. And it's got interesting characters saying witty things. But... Guy Ritchie knows where he's coming from with this shit. Say what you want about his later films, which I don't think are all that good for the most part. Here he gets it really right. Like, he really brings together everything he wants to say in a British crime film. And he does pay respect to, dialogue-wise, to stuff like The Long Good Friday. It's, it's very much in that same mold. Like, people think, oh, that's that witty, snappy dialogue that he ate from Tarantino. No, a lot of this stuff is actually in The Long Good Friday, if you actually watch that fucking film. He does it really well here. Virtually, uh, it kind of borrows a lot from, uh, even going back to, like, Raymond Chandler. I mean, you, you can, not just The Long Good Friday, but The Long Goodbye, or even, like, something like The Big Sleep. I mean... They're obviously not doing the same thing, but I mean that that same kind of like slightly circuitous, circuitous, that slightly circular dialogue structure. <laughs> You're gonna leave that in, aren't you? Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, I told them. But no, you I, I, I agree. Your mistakes. I know how it works. Yeah, no, and and I agree. I mean, I agree with uh, Kit Power saying this is basically a Shaggy Dog story. But a lot of Raymond Chandler shit was a shaggy dog story. It was very much a detective, you know, going around from interesting character to interesting character in this convoluted plot. And at the end of the day, you know, maybe it doesn't make sense, but it was very simple at the same time. You know, it's just like the Big Lebowski is a shaggy dog, Raymond Chandler's style kind of plot. It, it's very much the same kind of idea, just that there wasn't tons of murders in the Big Lebowski as compared to this. Well, and there, there's no detective that you're... yeah. <clears throat> you're not following kind of one person through the movie the way right. that, you know, and I think that that may be, but I honestly, I think that in, in a way, the um, following one dude around kind of, kind of thing, it, it kind of becomes a crutch in a lot of these kind of detective movie things anyway. Yeah. You know, it's actually really admirable. It's, it's kind of playing without a net. There's not kind of an, a, a single spine that you can just always kind of go back to, to, to kind of orient the, the viewer. I, I challenge anyone. I mean, for me, watching this, even the first time I saw it, I guess I was 20 or maybe just because it was released in the U.S. in, in early 2001, so I might have been 21. But 
even at that time, it's completely comprehensible. You know where you mm -hmm. are at any given time. You know, it, it's easy to kind of go, oh, this is a hugely convoluted plot. And I, I played it up a little bit in the synopsis of, you know, that stuff is just... But in the moment, you're, you're never lost about where you are and what's no. going on. And a film that's got this many characters in it to be this comprehensible on a first viewing, and you can kind of look back and go, there are... Maybe I don't remember every single piece of it, but right. I kind of know how we got here. That, I mean, that's great writing in and of itself, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I guess when I was dinging the film earlier, it's just like it is a style delivery system, you know. Yeah. It is kind of meant to do that. But there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, this is this is nice, fun, fairly, I think, what, a $2 million budget or something like that? It was actually a $6 million budget. Okay, $6 million. Well, budget. So, well wait, still, wait, wait. $6 million, uh, whatever... In England, so um, okay. because it, it's got the it's got the whatever that fucking character is in front <laughs> six of six million, million pounds, pounds, I guess, yes. So whatever that translates to American dollars, so okay. it, it okay. Might, that might translate to two million dollar budget or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's a fairly low budget movie. It's, it's, yeah, and this, it this made... is not this is not like a thirty million dollar movie, you know. No. And for a movie that's made for less than ten million dollars, it looks great. I mean, I don't I don't have oh. any. They're, the technical specs on this are fucking immaculate. I mean, it just looks really great. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever uh, did you ever watch the uh, director's commentary on this? Because there's a commentary track. I did not rewatch it for this podcast, but there's a commentary no. track with Guy Ritchie and Mike, uh, Matthew Vaughn. Matthew Vaughn went on to direct Layer Cake and uh, right. did some other stuff. He's, uh, I think, one of the some of the X Men movies or something. Um, uh, I know I he was at one point. He was the guy who Brett Ratner replaced on uh, X Men Three, I think. Oh Jesus, Brett Ratner, fuck off! <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ, Brett Ratner made exactly one good movie, and that was the first Rush Hour. <laughs> yeah, one of the things that you learn from um, watching the commentary track, and they're they're talking about the editing process, and they went through three editors on this movie, and basically mm -hmm. they were burning them out. Because I mean, it's a super low budget movie, and they, I mean, and they were just working these guys to the bone. They just quit. <laughs> you know? I believe it. And you can tell. I mean, you watch this film, and it's it is edited to within an inch of its life. Yeah, there is there. It is astonishing the the amount of stuff that's in this. Also, I mean, I mentioned the Sherlock Holmes, the uh, the, the kind of guy, the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes films, and um, I'm still a fan of that first one. The second one, eh, whatever. But but I I do I do like that first film. You sit and watch this after having watched that, and it's pretty obvious like where those where those fight scenes came from. Yeah, you know, <laughs> this was this was the, and this is this is honestly, I mean, this is even the better version um, because it's it's new at this point. Um, and it uh, it's really impressively produced, but it, but it's all in the editing. It's all in you know they shot exactly what they needed, and then they edited the life out. I mean, they edited into this you know super aggressive you know well, power I thing. I love in that last fight how they edited it basically into the mind of Mickey where he's being almost knocked unconscious and he feels like he, and it's just this highly exaggerated him f basically floating in the air and then falling down on the mat and then falling into water and then looking up as he's sinking in the water up at his body being pounded on, on <laughs> up, in the, up the ring. I mean, it, it's very highly stylized and it's also very effective. It just looks really good. It's probably like half drunk at this point in the fight too, you know, in a sense, the fight sequence really um, follows from the wig sequence. Cause one bit that I, I kind of missed in the synopsis is, you know, 
Bricktop is punishment for uh, Mickey uh, not wanting to do the fight. Um, burns Mickey's mother alive in yeah. the caravan, which is one of the great moments in the film. And really, I mean, to my mind, I mean, looking at, at Brad Pitt standing outside that caravan and, and um, having to be physically restrained from entering it, that's possibly, that might be one of my all-time favorite Brad Pitt moments. Um, this is This is one of the first films where he really got, recognized like he he did really good roles beforehand that mm-hmm. should be recognized as you know him being a legit actor and not just a pretty boy but this is probably one of the first ones where people kind of took notice of him this being was, this was kind of his follow-up to fight club right and, uh, so so i mean he had done um 12 monkeys was kind of the one where i think i think movie geeks really like took notice of him like as an actor and not as like leading man and yeah. i feel like i feel like that's the key to brad pitt is he can be leading man but he brings this kind of character actor's approach to it and and in this i mean he's arguably the most important character in the film and one of the coolest characters in, in this in this film full of cool people he's one of the coolest people well he um, but he's also he, he, he watched that performance and he disappears into it like, i mean yeah. you know obviously it's fucking brad pitt you know what brad pitt looks like yeah. but you know i mean literally at the beginning like his first shot in the film is he's taking a shit by a beat down old car, in the yeah. of, and you know, and and uh, that was actually Brad Pitt chose to do that. that yeah, and, but you know, the, the sad thing for for Brad Pitt is he has to overcome how good he looks. So no matter right. how many shits he takes, no matter how much mud he smears on his fucking face in the film, it's still Brad Pitt. So you actually, he actually has to act his way out of being so pretty, and right. I think he does a pretty uh, admirable job. All things he does. Considered. I mean, he looks like he he looks like he stinks, and that mm-hmm. and I mean that in the absolute best possible way. He also, I mean, especially kind of coming right after Fight Club, where he's just like, you know, golden Adonis of <laughs> physical. Yeah. He looks kind of skinny. He looks kind of you know he, he and and uh, part of that you know he yeah he has he's he's lost shot and the makeup yeah and, but he but he has he has lost some definition from Fight Club where. He, he just looks more. He doesn't look like he worked on his body. He just looks more natural, like you know, bare knuckle fighter. Like he he looks like a natural, skinny version of a bare knuckle fighter. Where the guys he fights, uh, in the movie, all look like the more beefy, heavyweight right. bare knuckle fighters, right? So, yeah, there's yeah. there's I no mean, there's. I mean, in this illegal bare knuckle fighting thing, there's no weight classes. So he's no. like a he's like a you know a lightweight or maybe even like welterweight flyweight fighting against these fucking beefy heavyweight motherfuckers, but he just happens to be a gypsy bare knuckle champion who can just fucking knock these guys into next week with one punch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a one punch wonder, and so he's it's a, they're down, you know. It's it's yeah. a, it's a. I mean, and um, I think uh, in that first fight with Gorgeous George, I think uh, again, kind of watching it. I mean, he he looks kind of nonchalant. I mean, he's kind of taking the hits, and you're kind of like, man, George is just kicking this guy's ass, yeah. you know. And then and then when he just comes out and just boom, done, and then George is out. It's a it's a big moment. I mean, it really like redefines the film, and suddenly you're, it's a great moment, a great performance moment for really everybody yeah. involved. Um, just structurally, I mean, it really I don't know. Brad Pitt is great in this. I don't know. <laughs> Talking about the film, I just love the film even more. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because his his character he's he's supposed to be a gypsy. Like originally, he wanted a part on this film after seeing Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Originally, he was supposed to be like a London character like with a london accent but he couldn't pull it off so he was given this character so he, he could say shit and the accent could be bullshit but it would kind of work right and i mean he he speaks with something that 
isn't a real accent. It's it's kind of a inspired by kind of uh, Irish Romanian gypsy kind of accent kind of thing. It's it's, it's just sort of Irish traveler culture, but it's also supposed to be just this weird guy from the middle of fucking nowhere sort of yeah. like, I mean, you know, they, they sort of just play it up as, you know, okay, Brad Pitt couldn't do a London accent, but he can do this. Yeah, he, and can, he can go. I buy it. Like, I didn't even think, like, oh, Brad Pitt can't do a London accent, and therefore they gave him this to do. It's it's just, that's the thing he's doing, you know? <laughs> yeah, he could just, you know, he could just, he could just slip into, oh, oh, okay. Oh, you're a big fella, aren't you? Uh, fucking uh, Caravan, uh, pa- pa- I think it's blue. a big fucker, isn't it? Oh, you're a big fucker, aren't you? Big fucker, aren't you? Yeah, boxer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Give this guy some tea. Oh, fuck it, fuck it. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I just, I just want to, I just want to mention for the uh, listening audience that Lee literally just did a rope a dope with his hands. As he I can't was, help uh, it. I mean, that that is what the character is, and when you start talking like him, you you get into that. <laughs> I knew a guy one in my like early twenties when this film was new, who uh, like really, really wanted to be an actor and used to like do that accent. Like, <laughs> like he really thought he was cool for being able to like do that accent. It was a uh, pretty um, pretentious douchebag bullshit. Yeah, um, uh, full, full, stuff, full, full disclosure: I don't think I'm cool doing that accent. Just oh, so no, everyone knows. No, 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 no one here is cool. No one. Maybe people listen to this are cool, but we're not cool. We're talking about this movie like 16 years later. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm just bullshitting with it. We got to talk about some more actors in this. We got to talk about mm. well, Vinnie Jones. Who uh, has a history yeah. with this podcast? You know that's right. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so you're the big dick, and he's your these are your two mitzy little faggot balls. Yeah. yeah Fucking yeah. Th- this. This was you know this was the first role that really made him Vinny Jones on cinema. Uh, yeah, yeah. And he's a great character. Like honestly, when I think about it, I want his character and Dennis Farina's character in their own movie together. <laughs> I, I, I'd I, go for that. It's it's too bad that Dennis Freen is dead because that's the movie I want to see because that is probably one of one or two or three things that's like my absolute favorite part of this film is their interactions together because yeah. it's just I, it's so funny. I want, to, I want you to find somebody. <laughs> Depends on how many variables in the equation. About forty thousand. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just love how he takes that motherfucker and just sticks him in his window. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, he takes he takes the uh, the I guess the little pansy gangster mullet. guy. His, his, his name's mullet. mullet. His name is Mullet. He takes Mullet and sticks him in the window. Which I mean, it's a thing we've seen in movies before. I mean, but it but it is such a uh, and then uh, plays uh, Madonna. Uh, right. Vinnie Jones yeah. is a thing. Oh, Madonna. I, I love that track. Yeah. I love that track. They're playing Lucky Star. Plays Lucky yeah. Star in the flashback when he's getting shot when he earns his nickname. Yeah, well, it's Tony. Yeah. And then in that scene as well. And um, gee, it's not like, I wonder how they got the rights to that particular piece of music there, Lee. Well, actually, uh, I think this was before he started dating Madonna. They got married very soon before this film was released. Oh, did they? Because from what I saw, from what I saw doing research, they still had to pay for the rights. They might've still had to pay for the rights. That wouldn't surprise me. That was kind of the thing that kind of propelled this film, at least I think to, I think a lot of people's consciousness at the time was that, oh, this is like 
Madonna's new husband, and he's got this little movie, you know. Thing. Right. Um, and I and that, that almost that almost overshadowed the movie, I think, for for a little while in terms yeah. of um, you know the, but, the personal and, lives. Of the, and there's there's kind of a there's kind of a, a also like a Madonna and Tarantino kind of connection, like right at first, where it's oh. you know Frankie Fourfingers and his gang are dressed up as Hasidic Jews, and they're going in. <laughs> The, the the rob the place and they're talking about like virgin birth and that Madonna and that's very much just a riff on talking about Madonna like a virgin in uh, Reservoir Dogs. Oh, that's true. Yeah, because they they have this. I mean, they have this extended conversation about uh you know virgin that the word for, that the word for virgin the word for young woman which is something I've I've heard. I don't know. Um, I actually don't know how true that is, but it's something that kind of gets repeated a lot in, in various circles. Right. Um, I don't speak Hebrew. I apologize. <laughs> and, Sorry, uh, I didn't learn Hebrew for the for this film uh, review. Well, yeah, Jesus Christ, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but of course, of course, the, the the Tarantino one's much more explicit, where they're just starting to talk about. No, you don't understand. What it really means is that Madonna just got this really big dick in her and, and it's like being a virgin for the first time again because you know it's just so big it hurts and here it's just like eh, you know the the text in, in in the bible you know it's it's all the spelling and the wording you know with with the madonna and the immaculate conception and all that shit and yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> i actually love the uh the way that opening sequence is shot because it's mm-hmm. um you know it's shot on uh, you're you're looking at monitors right so you kind of watch them kind of come up on security screens and then you just kind of pan over to them like entering the the actual room and that's that's the sequence like the opening titles occur over that sequence yeah i mean it's just just the level of planning that had to to go into that i mean it's a simple kind of thing to do like once you think of it but then you, you think like just getting that to work physically like on the day when you're when you're mm-hmm. actually filming it um that, that's a pretty impressive thing and um i'm just talking about the, the the style of the film you go from this very almost like stayed locked off shot of like watching these cameras and then once the uh benicio del Toro and the gang enter the into the room and then they pull out the guns and then it's yeah. just you get the music and everything and everything's like spinning and there's this crazy kind of thing going on and um it really like that that's how you dive into the film and i think that the film gets a lot of credit for being as as hyperkinetic as it is but it it is these quiet moments in between that really make the kineticism really work yeah you get these like really kind of just interesting little character moments where they're spewing dialogue between each other and you get to know the characters and then it jumps into this like hyperkinetic action thing where it's sped up in parts then it slows down and then it speeds up again. That's the kind of uh, notes that you remember from the film, but like the connecting parts are there as well that make it work. So, right. Another moment, another another quiet moment is one with um, Bullet Tooth Tony and um, our, our good friend Boris the Bullet Dodger, uh, which is <laughs> uh, so so after the Desert Eagle Five Point <laughs> Nobody, nobody who hasn't seen the film is listening at this point, right? We're just bouncing around, right? Yeah, everybody um, knows two little mincy faggot balls. Everyone knows right. that. <laughs> so, um, Bullet to Tony, you know, like he shoots through the wall with his Desert Eagle 5.0. He kind of walks in, and then you get this shot where he's, you get this extended sequence where he's trying to kill Boris the Blade. Right. But Boris the Blade is out of shot, and you just hear him like, I'm almost, you almost got me. <laughs> I'll show you. Killing, I'll shoot you. Don't take the piss, Boris. Come on now. Stay down, boys. Don't take the piss. 
And it really is this this uh, I mean that's that's the black humor of, of the film really I mean that's that's in in a nutshell that's that's the way the film works, yeah. and I mean it's this very stylish very well shot moment it's very well paced and uh, you know where he's very deliberately aiming with the with the gun and he shoots he shoots a couple of bullets and kind of and then like you hear I you know and um, it's one of those moments I actually forgot until I was rewatching it went, <laughs> oh shit that is a great like that's one of my favorite scenes of the film. I just I just like the decision, like, almost all the deaths on this are off-screen, basically. Actually, I think all of them are off-screen, actually. Um, but I, I, I like the decision that Bulletooth Tony and Boris the Blade are these legendary figures in the crime world here. Mm-hmm. And their big confrontation... Uh, Boris the Blade doesn't know shit about Bulletooth Tony, apparently. Like, it's never brought up to him, so he doesn't give a fuck. But when, Bull, when Boris the Blade is brought up to Bulletooth Tony... Well, two Tony's like, oh fuck, Boris the Blade, really? We're gonna be, we're gonna be running into him. All right. I mean, he's not scared of him, but he knows him and he respects him. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> and and then their final. <laughs> they call him bullet. The, they call him bullet. Boris the Bullet Dodger. Well, why do they call him that? Because he dodges fucking bullets, savvy. <laughs> yeah, he, he dodges fucking bullets, savvy. <laughs> did Did you brush your teeth with fucking t- dog shit? <laughs> I just love all those fucking lines because he's so you know no nonsense and and everything is funny and I, I love how Avi and and Bulletooth Tony this they they really start getting along for a while and then like the relationship falls falls apart at the end where he, where he wants them to fucking cut the dog open to get the fucking diamond yeah. Like, <laughs> They've been well, led to believe that the diamond is in the dog is, in, yeah. is inside the dog and you know Avi's like all right all right go. Like take care of it, take care of it to to, to Tony. Tony's like, "What do you want me to do? Get the diamond out of the dog <laughs> knife?" He's like, I, "He doesn't want to do it." I mean, with all the violence we've seen in the film, yeah. like, you know, he goes, like, he goes, he's like, "No, no, no, I'm not doing that." He goes, "Well, that's a little strong, isn't it?" <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I, I almost think that's like a studio note, you know. Like, I, I don't think that actually is a studio note in this film, but it does. It does feel like, well, you know, we can kill as many people as you want, but like the dog, you got to leave the dog alone. You know, you can't you can't be killing any dogs in this film. So, uh. <laughs> uh, what what do you think of our three little uh, pawn shop criminal? Well, two pawn shop criminals and their accomplice and Tyrone. Then, and then Tyrone, yeah. This is actually one of the elements I was gonna I was gonna talk about. This is one of the few films where the black guys live all the way to the end of the film yeah. it's actually like one of those one of those moments that i remember uh, people talking about at the time it's like black audiences notice that shit too you know <laughs> um i love these guys because these are these are the guys who aren't really criminals i mean they, they they're they running a pawn shop they're dealing in some stolen goods but these are not these are not guys with like familiarity in this world these are not guys with like connections these are these are just guys they were kind of hired by boris to go rob this bookie and yeah they're they're, they're gonna con- talk about that scene it, <laughs> as far as their connections go is they cater to these criminals sometimes sometimes these criminals come in and sell stu- stuff to them right they're, they're kind of in the world but they're not you know these, these aren't guys i mean you don't get the sense that oh these guys really know how to use a gun and all that sort of thing like this is they're out of their element and i really like that element of their character yes you know I love their dialogue. I love the, uh, you know, like, it's all against replicas at one point. You know, replica guns. <laughs> yeah. So what are you going to do? <laughs> Trying to deafen them with it, you know? Like, yeah. I'm extra loud. Extra loud blanks. <laughs> I I like that they, they meet up with Tyrone, and he's the getaway driver. And it's just, what is he going to get away from? 
It's just, <laughs> and then they're trying to back the car up, and they they slam into someone else's car, someone else's car while they're trying they, to they parallel park. They slam into the van that has yeah. Benicio or Frankie Fourfingers in the back, yeah. which is why they sit there and wait forever, and then it ends into the uh, the terrible um, botched robbery right thing. So so it's all like structured really well, but yeah, and then it's like uh, you know, it was a funny angle. Yeah, it was, a it, was, angle. it was right behind you. It was <laughs> when you go in reverse, things come from behind. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just, and actually it's kind of funny because Tyrone initially kind of comes off as a, a buffoon, and he still is kind of a buffoon. But in some ways, he's smarter than both of them, and he's kind of competent as well. Do you notice when um when the like second in command guy is uh like looking at the video footage, he doesn't know who Saul and uh, the other yeah. guy are. He doesn't he doesn't know who the pawn shop guys are, but he knows Tyrone. So you get Tyrone is kind of in this world. He's yeah. It's not that he's more. It's not that he's smarter because he's he's a dumb fuck too. Yeah. But he's just kind of more experienced. He's more well known. He kind of knows like oh yeah, this is kind of what we do. Tyrone, um, you silly fought bastard. <laughs> and then of course you get the yardie later who's, you know, no, yeah. I don't I don't I don't dispose of the bodies, I just make the make bodies. <laughs> and and he knows who Bricktop is and he's like, Yeah, I'm out of here. We're not fucking with this shit. Is <laughs> <laughs> like Brick Bricktop arrives at the pawn shop uh, while they're trying to figure out what to do with Frankie Fourfinger's body and <laughs> And Bricktop's like, do you know who I am? I know who you are. All right, well that will make that will make things a lot. That'll, that'll save us some time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then he has he has this great moment. Man, that guy should be in more shit. Like I was looking him up, and he's been in you know I mean he's been in some yeah, stuff, he's, but he's, this he's is, only this, been, the big thing. this was what sort of made him you know he he's done a lot of roles similar to this since then in his career. But but Alan Ford uh, before then he he he'd done a lot of stuff. But I mean the only really big crime thing he was in actually was Long Good Friday, and that was just kind of a bit part for him. Yeah, I yeah. love his glasses in this. I love his teeth. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, love, I love how I love how like he kind of looks like somebody's grandma just a little bit. <laughs> And yet he's the he's the biggest badass motherfucker in the movie, and yet even he like when, when uh, Mickey doesn't take the dive the way he's supposed to, like his bosses are kind of you know giving him shit for it. So well, well yeah, that's the thing because even he's he, not like a big like crime boss guy. No, he, he's he's very much he's very much on the edge. If he makes a big fuck up, he's going to get killed. I mean, right. he he is a he is a feared guy. He is a crime boss. He's probably nominally. The top crime boss in the in the in London at the at that point, but it's very very shaky. Like yeah, it's precarious. It, he's not in a very good situation. You know. Yeah. So, and I just love how it feels like he's got dentures that don't quite fit. Like yeah. he's always moving his jaw around and shit, and bugging his eyes out in his glasses. Oh, it's okay, Turkish. I'm sweet enough. Yeah, yeah. You want some sugar in that? Oh no, Turkish. I'm sweet enough. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've, I've stole that lines for so many things where people, yeah. you know, oh, you're really good, you're really sweet. No, no, I'm sweet enough as it is. Thanks, it's all right. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, he's really good. He, he's no nonsense, and he has a bit of a sense of humor to him as well when he's fucking with his victims and shit. Yep. You know, like like the introduction to him where he's he's in the 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 gym and they're boxing and shit, and it's like. He he basically has one of his guys killed because he's been uh, going behind his back, and the guy who kills him, and he's like, 
I'll give you this. You're a vicious cunt. And then he, but I can't have you fucking doing this. And then he has him killed as well. And, yeah. <laughs> and the two boxers are looking at him wide. I'm like, what the fuck are you looking at? <laughs> right. Yeah, no, uh, Bricktop is a great character. Um, again, you can imagine another movie. You know, you can imagine like a series of Bricktop movies, you know? Right. God, who else do we have to talk about? Lots of people talk about in this movie. Well, what what do you think of Tommy as the uh, as uh, Statham's sidekick, essentially, where he who's trying to who's trying to be a bigger man than he ever could he's, be? He's trying he's trying to be tougher than he really is. He's yeah. trying to be in this world. He God, what a good what a good heart that man has, you know. Yeah. You know like and that's you know you're you're too good for this world, Tommy. That that's 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 kind of the he's a little bit it's a little bit easy to overlook him maybe in the in this in this kind of world of colorful characters. Such a fun little performance, and he's yeah. such the comic relief. He, he's the light heart of the film in a way, right. you know, because we kind of cut to him when we need a a, a light hearted goofy moment, you know. Mm-hmm. You know the the scene with the milk. He's talking about cows have only been domesticated for the last seven thousand years, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I think the best thing about him is, is, as silly as he is, he's like just <clears throat> totally dedicated and loyal at the same time to, to Statham's character. Like he, 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 he probably would die for Turkish. Oh yeah, so, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I mean, it, it's it's a really great duo. Like it, you yeah. get the comedy out of the silliness silliness of his character, but at the same time, you totally buy that they're friends, and you realize why they're friends. And Turkish doesn't really want to be in this world either. No, you know? like you, you you get Turkish is like he's he's doing this out of a sort of necessity. He wants to be a, a you know he, he kind of wants to run boxers, but he's not. He kind of does the crime stuff out of a sort of obligation. You know, well, so yeah, they they mentioned this, that. This is kind of what you have to do. You know? Yeah, they they mention you know uh, in the narration at the beginning of the film, basically, if you want to exist in this world, eventually you're going to run up into Bricktop. Eventually, mm-hmm. you you will encounter him, and you have to deal with him. And you don't want to get in debt with him because then he'll own you. And then later on, of course, that's exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's that's really the kind of central thing for Turkish in the film is. You know, I'm just trying to get out of this fucking situation that I ended up in. I mean, and, and that's where I mean, it really is kind of a shaggy dog story. I mean, we begin and end in the exact same spot. You yeah. Know? <laughs> um, but uh, but like, what do you think? What's your speculation on what happens to them at the end? Because they they are basically putting themselves right back into the hands of Avi and <laughs> and the whole diamond exchange thing. I un- mean, unknowingly. I don't know. I I kind of want them to just have the happy ending of like yeah. they got. They got they got some money out of the deal. I mean, I, I doubt that you know they would have gotten half the cost of the stone or whatever. But oh yeah, I no, would, no. I would, my, my thought my thing my thinking is that Avi is smart enough and he's had enough of this full fucking shit. Right, right. He offers him fifty grand and says, "No, go away." You know. Yeah, that's like, that's where I rest on it. As he, well. he gives like, him enough. He gives him enough money to like you have been paid for this, but you don't need to deal with it. like. I'm giving you this so I don't have to kill you, sort of thing. Like, that's, yeah, it's it's a weird, ironic kind of like criminal underworld karma kind of thing throughout the yeah. the entire film, where they'll end up slightly better off and they'll be out of the picture, and right. everyone and everyone will be happy. Like uh, <laughs> uh, cousin Avi will get his diamond finally, and after yeah. all that fucking struggle, you kind of get a happy ending, right? I mean, you yeah. know, like like in this kind of morally ambiguous world, like like who are the people who die? Yeah. You know. Boris the Blade, Bullet Tooth Tony are, are are fun characters, but they're evil fuckers. They they're right. dead. We got to talk about Brick Top's death here. Yeah. But yeah, 
the the Pikes, they win. Like they're the heroes yeah. of the film. You know, Turkish is going to get some money, and Tommy's gonna, they're they're going to build up their their boxing thing again. Right. You know, Doug the head he gets the stone, and uh, Avi gets the. I mean, they get the stone. I mean, you know, like the only person that really gets fucked over is uh, Mickey's mom. <laughs> yeah, which is you know that's that's actually like the one really super serious kind of a moment in the film that you know is really dark. Like everything else is kind of you know bad people getting killed. While well, you can be flippant about that because who really gives a shit? You know, Mickey's mom, who's just basically looking out for Mickey and looking for her son's best interests, she ends up dying as a result of him being dragged into this criminal underworld. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I do hope that you throw that uh, that that moment, the uh, massive attack angel song playing over that uh, burning caravan, is one of those images that's just like burned. Oh, oh yeah, there there's going to be uh, there's going to be some music in this episode. I there, there's going to be quite a few things from the soundtrack because the soundtrack's fucking immaculate. Like yeah, e- even this like might some be the single greatest soundtrack of all time. I mean, ah, uh, well, let's not go nuts, but it is a really great soundtrack. I mean, just the fact that Guy Ritchie would put something like the Stranglers and the Specials on there, which really speaks to me personally. And then he puts a bunch of like more modern electronic stuff that is really fucking good and really works in the context of the film, affects me emotionally and gets me into the film. Honestly, there's there's nothing bad about this film. It's it's hard to find anything to say about this film that's bad. I mean, <laughs> other the, the, than the, the fact that there's no female characters, that's probably the only really you get, bad thing. You get you get one, and she's one of the best characters in the film, and she doesn't even have a name. This is the woman who is working behind the uh, the counter at the bookies. Right. I love this woman. Yeah. I adore this character. You completely buy exactly who she is. She's like all. Bets are, are off. off. I'm not fucking buying that. Well, that's handy because I'm not fucking selling it now, am I? Yeah. <laughs> I, want all, I want all the money. There's no money here. All bets are off. If there's yeah. no betting, there's no money. <laughs> what a what a fucking perfect consummate fucking criminal professional. I mean, this, she is, is. this is exactly the woman who would be working for Bricktop, right? Exactly. Like, in, 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 this is the complete professional. Do you know who this belongs to? Do you know who you're robbing right now? Yeah. You need to run right now rather yeah. than deal with this shit. I love, there's one of my favorite little moments in the film is actually where she used the phone to press the, uh, the, the alarm button and raise yeah. the shield. Like, it's such a great, I, it's, it's so tiny but it's just such a great little moment where she just goes click you know i love um, he, he points that he points the shotgun there drop the fucking shield and she drops it and he just falls on his ass <laughs> <laughs> well there you go you asked for it <laughs> she knows exactly how big fuck up these guys are and it's yeah. just fine fuck ups well, fucks up. well that's 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 what those characters are based on actually like they were specifically based on real criminals fuck-ups it's interesting that richie here makes a point that for the most part the majority of criminals are fuck-ups and they're stupid and they make mistakes the real criminals that actually succeed you never fucking hear about for the most part like you just the real real criminals that succeed work on wall street (laughs) like you know yeah if you if if you're good you end up being brick top and not you know some guy robbing a bookies you know what i mean you know which is something but but still back to uh violent city where we last week yeah but 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 still brick top fucks up because he underestimates the pikeys well (laughs) 
and this is where you learn don't go against people who have no fixed address. Yeah, and they have you know I mean? and, and they have very little to lose uh, other, exactly. than, other than family. And you fuck with their family, they're gonna fuck with you. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. I, I mean, I mean the 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 travelers, you know, they're doing a little grift. I mean, they're they're definitely yeah. like they're, they're playing. Uh, oh, they're playing yeah, they the they, they are con men, but it's it's fun because you know. Uh, they even make a point of saying, like, oh, every deal you do with a pikey, you're going to get a dog in the deal. Right, they're right, they're yeah. going to give you a dag. They're going to give you a dag. dag. You like dags? Dags? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh dogs. dogs. Yeah, I, I like dags. Oh, yeah. I like dogs. Yeah. I like dags. Yeah. I like caravans, I like caravans more. more. <laughs> <laughs> so fucking quotable, isn't it? I know. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's actually kind of crazy. It, it feels like hyperbole and, and shit like that, but this movie actually is kind of perfect in the way it's yeah, done yeah. like i mean at what it's doing it this is about as well as it can be done yeah yeah it it sets its high i mean it's funny like th- there's a there's a high degree of difficulty to this right yeah because just structurally and in terms of like how many times guy Ritchie tried to go back to this well and how many times he fucking failed miserably yeah like this is not this is not easy i don't know it's funny like i don't have anything to say i just want to talk about it and quote it you know what i mean yeah. like you know there's there's no there's nothing else to talk about it's just like yeah it's a lot of fun sit down and watch it let's yeah. sit and let's sit and bullshit on it um what we really should have done and i forgot to mention this to you in time we really should have done a live comp for this <laughs> we could still do it eventually yeah, I, I don't see why it. because i think there's a lot of stuff we could still talk about in a live com commentary for yeah. this yeah so like when we do our sort of trial run with night of the living dead at episode 100 we could always go back to this because I th- yeah. I, th- I think there's a lot of stuff we could pull from this and just talk about and have fun with. Because this is this is really a party movie too. This is really something oh, yeah, like yeah. you watch with a bunch this of people. This is this is a, this is a sit and watch it with people and and have some beers and uh, or some Irish whiskey at that. Yeah, you know? <laughs> do, do an Irish wake style. Um, <laughs> I love the structure of um, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think we're wrapping up here. But I love this bit. I love the way the kind of main storyline ends because you think Mickey has just fucked everything up. Yeah. He's gone through this. He's they're running out. Bricktop is like pulling the, the shotgun out and suddenly you hear the gun go off and structurally you're like, they're, they're sunk, right? Like right. this is this, they're, they're all going to die. This is, this is the end of the movie, but no behind the scenes, Mickey and the other travelers, they have um, set this up. They know exactly what they're doing and they turn the tables and ultimately, yeah. no, we figured this out and Bricktop is not beaten. Like, Turkish does not beat Bricktop in any sense of the word. Yeah. Mickey had this plan all along and just fucking annihilates everybody and, the, yeah. and, and they bury the bodies and they, and they go. Yeah. And you, you, you gotta love that. You gotta love the fact that like this this terror of the underworld is like these fucking nobodies with you know no fixed address just fucking took out this this huge well, power. Well, yeah, that's, that's the thing. All these these underworld characters are so wrapped up in their intertwinings. Like they're just they're so concerned with their all their day to days and their enemies and their allies and all this bullshit. And at the end of the day, it's fucking Mickey and his people wanting revenge that just totally trumps all that and just fucks it all up. It's a fucking excellent end to the film. Like, it just, you know, it's like all this shit doesn't matter. What really matters is the real life idea that Mickey's mother got killed for this bullshit and he's going to take revenge. And all this extra bullshit 
with these characters and their stupid fucking criminal lives that they shouldn't be in in the first place. All this frivolous bullshit is bullshit. And he just cuts right all through that and just knocks Brick, Brick Top off. And, of course, that probably creates this incredible power vacuum in the criminal yeah, right. underworld. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the London underworld is not exactly going to, uh, uh, to, to be uh, a good place to be. For yeah. for a while after after the death of, of such a big guy, you know, fuck more power to him. It's, it's yeah. kind of, you know, the, the the anarchist in me just just loves this idea of this like completely like unstructured, non hierarchical, you know, group just completely like like being the people you need to go to to defeat the big source of evil in this in this movie. You know, yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's great. That's I mean... like kind of the one like sort of message of the film. Uh, you know, if you want to try to read that into it. Yeah, um, no, it's, it's the only great. people that can beat them is are these these people who are out of the out of this world, you know. Yeah, because I mean, in the in in the criminal world, there is this kind of code and structure. I mean, it's, it's very loose, and they turn on it all the time. But there's still kind of this adherence to this weird kind of code and structure. Mickey has no fucking allegiance to that shit. He he just cuts right through it and topples it. He has allegiance to his people and his, yeah. and his fucking mom. And yeah. he killed my mom, and fuck you. And yeah. I don't like. And he has no fear. And that's the that's the thing. Like, there's no like. What are you gonna do to me? Like, right. you can kill me. You can torture me. You can do whatever. But like, fuck you. I mean, you know? I mean, you can already tell that torture ain't gonna work on him. I mean, just man. Can you can you imagine like Mickey could take on like four of like Big Top's guys? Like, right. no, no question. You know. Um. Yeah. Mickey. Mickey's the the biggest badass in the film. Of course, it's also the biggest star in the film. So yeah. yeah. There's that. Yeah, I guess we haven't talked about Benicio del Toro at all in the film. And uh, yeah, it's it's, it's kind of weird because like Benicio del Toro is like really becoming a star at this point. Like this is like really the sort of couple <laughs> group of years where he's really breaking off and becoming something big. And he's just kind of a small part in this. Like he is the catalyst to the story in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but he's kind of forgotten that <laughs> halfway I through the film. I, I kind of think the reason that they put a tea cozy on his head is so they didn't have to have Benicio del Toro right. <laughs> lie there for uh, for all those shots of you know the dead body and all that. I really love him in the film. I really love uh, you know he has that line you know you know Booby I know a lot of things but still you know sort of thing. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, Booby I know a lot of things you don't know. <laughs> I love the uh, the bit where he's changing clothes. Yeah, and you've like- got the. You've got the scene where he's on the phone, and every time you cut back to him, he's in a different set of clothes. So, which is just it's such a like editing thing, you know, where it's just like yeah, so, demonstrating that he's changing clothes all these many times. But yeah. So, did that real phone call take place where Cousin Avi says something to him, and then he says, Hold on, and goes off screen <laughs> for 10 minutes? And then gets changed into something, never comes back, and continues the conversation like it never <laughs> stopped. Given given what we know about Avi, I don't think he'd put up with that shit. I think probably uh, I not. Think this is I think this is a uh, this is an editing trick. Yeah, this is yeah. a this is a this is a, um, a. We're not supposed to take that moment literally, you know. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I love it though. It's such a it's such a great thing. And the first time I saw the film, I didn't even I didn't pick up on it at all. It wasn't until the second time I, I watched it, I'm like, holy shit! Like he's right. got a new set of clothes every time they <laughs> you cut to him. Like that's great. And then of course the uh, the gun heavy for reliability. Yeah, heavy, reliable, six pounds, <laughs> and and none of the guns he sells works. Right, they probably all have no firing pins in them. And he just sells. What them I'm saying them. is, you do more damage to him with that gun if you fed it to him. 
yeah, <laughs> it, <laughs> it, but although even even uh, Boris Boris the Blade is like, you know, if you're on a boss, you just hit him with it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then of course that moment where you learn how Boris the Blade get his name, yeah, um, because his sister used to get it's like yeah okay, and then he kind of comes in like why not just why not just one you cut it off, and then he just opens his jacket and it has this giant fucking butcher's yeah. knife, which is a pullback to Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels because there's a character who does that as well. This yeah. pulls this big fucking butcher cleaver out, <laughs> and it, it, it's kind of funny because it it does speak to kind of the truth of Russian gangsters as well, because they kind of do that shit. Yeah, no, they do. (laughs) And then wraps the arm in newspaper. That's a great moment too, right? He's he's very fastidious about like wrapping it very neatly. uh, I'll give you a 10,000, but I've seen you motherfuckers again. (laughs) You motherfuckers. Yeah. I think they had this idea that he was like a big 80s action movie fan and just kind of like thought he was, it was really trying to be that bad. He's a very different kind of badass. It's kind of the thing. Right. You know? It's that, it's that Russian absorbing American culture, like 20 years too late kind of thing. I like to think it's the same guy in Euro trip. Like right. Traveled, you know, <laughs> man, Eurotrip is going to go through this podcast forever. We're never going to get away from talking about hey, it. I have no problem talking about Eurotrip. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I feel like there's so much we've missed, but, like, what else do we say about this movie? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Like, maybe we just dump in the trivia. I mean, I think I think everyone knows we love this film, so yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, not any big surprise. Someone, this, is, this is us just bullshitting and having fun talking about a great movie. Yeah. You know? We were going to do something a little more serious this week, but uh, I had some other stuff going on, and I said, let's do Snatch. This will be easy for me to talk about. And, and, <laughs> yeah. You know. That worked for me because I had two other podcasts to do, so that yeah. was, like, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I, I basically had four films to watch for this week, so that was good. Yeah, yeah. I get that. Uh, interesting piece of trivia that I think you'll appreciate. The pub where Bullet Tooth Tony is accosted by Soul and company is the same pub in the movie Shaun of the Dead. Oh. Yeah. I, I, I was showing sure that on our list. We need to. We need to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's definitely something we should be doing. And Guy Ritchie makes a cameo appearance uh, when you're first introduced to uh, Doug the Head. He's he's reading a newspaper in the background, apparently. In the uh... oh yeah, yeah, yeah yeah no I, I knew I knew that he was in it. And yeah, that, I remember that now. Yeah, um, and appar- apparently Bricktop was offered to Sean Connery at first, and then. Sh- <laughs> I'm Sean, so glad he said no. <laughs> yeah, I mean that probably wouldn't have worked. Uh, but Connor, Connery actually watched uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, and then basically told Guy Ritchie, "The movie's really great, but you can't afford me for the next movie." <laughs> Which is, hey, great. Go in the retirement, Sean. Fair enough, fair enough, Sean Connery. You would have just totally unbalanced this film ultimately. Yeah, I don't think he could have worked with this, honestly. Pigs go home and fuck the prom queen. <laughs> you go home and fuck the prom queen, Turkish. <laughs> oh my god, do we need to do the rock now? Oh fuck. Oh god. Well, I think we should do it at some point, definitely. We should. I mean, we should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh yeah, uh DVD Blu-ray information for this. Two disc special edition came out in two thousand one. There was a single disc UK version of this and I want to see the UK version because apparently the dubbing and stuff is slightly different in the UK version of this. Uh, but there's a single disc of that that came out in 2003. 
And uh, Blu-ray version came out in 2009, all from Sony Pictures. So uh, I own the original two-disc. Uh, oh, right. Okay. Actually, I own it twice because my wife came in with a copy of it as well. So, <laughs> but there, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of cutscenes there. Like there's more interaction between Bricktop and and uh, Turkish and them and stuff. And uh, also, there's Av- Avi and and uh, Bricktop have something in the cutscenes, don't they? Oh, maybe. I, this I been a long so. time. No, I watched it. I mean, years ago, but I, I didn't. Re-watch yeah, I think it. so because, like, in the actual movie, they're kept apart. They never interact. But right, I think right. in the cutscenes, I read that they actually have a scene where they interact, and uh, Bricktop tries to sell the diamond to Avi or something like that. So yeah, I could, yeah. I, yeah that sounds uh, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think I think we're good. I think we're done. I'm done. All right. Daniel, where can people find you? Just go and follow me on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. Um, I do have uh, some podcasts working on. I just finished editing an episode of my Red Dwarf podcast tonight, and I will likely put that up. It'll be up by the time this episode goes up. So check that out. And um, I'm dipping my toes. We're getting back into podcasting. I was doing like every week for a while, and and I'm just kind of ramping back up. But it's it's going to start happening again. And um, look forward to that. But yeah, right, follow cool. me on, on Twitter, Daniel Lee Harper. You can find all my stuff there. All right, sweet. Uh, you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com. You can find our iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook links. Join our Facebook group. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook. That's the best place to get in contact with us, find out what's going on with the show, just interact, <clears throat> yell at us, praise us, whatever you so Tell desire. Tell how shitty this episode was. <laughs> yeah, just... You guys totally got Snatch wrong. Here, here's my here's my uh, essay on uh, why Snatch is a uh, uh, discussion of the proletariat uh, in uh, communist Russia or something. I, I don't know. I mean, we could read stuff into it. It's just like, why? Like, no, just enjoy it as it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'd be fascinated in seeing that. I'd really love to see a Marxist reading of this film. Actually, <laughs> I think I think there I think there is a a proper we're, Marxist reading of this. Where where Boris the Blade is the hero of the film, and uh... well, no, no, just just in terms of you know, like, hey, look, you know, um, Bricktop is uh, controlling the, the you know, he's he all the capital is going up. Actually, fuck, man, there's like a Nazi reading of this because it's all about the fucking Jews and their diamonds, right? <laughs> yeah, those fuckers control the diamonds, then like diamonds would be easier to get because like the diamond market is all controlled by, I mean, this this small. I mean, ultimately, diamonds are not nearly as valuable except for their price controls on diamonds, right? Right. You know, so. The whole thing is this like artificial price stimulation based on control of this group, and it's the fucking Jews doing it. So, like, man, this this film is kind of pro Nazi, right? <laughs> All right, Guy Ritchie, man, we never knew until now. Now, now we know why they divorced. It's because Madonna and that Kabbalah thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Wasn't wasn't syncing up with the Nazi shit. By the way, I do not uh, actually believe that the Jews are controlling the diamond market and like manipulating. Like, no, don't believe that. Just putting but it out I, there. I, I I do believe Madonna's a Nazi. Wait, I think we got things crossed. Maybe not. I'll just leave that, it. That's wrong. Yeah. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Madonna's a Nazi. Um. Anyway, if you want to subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, please do so. And give us a five star rating. And give us a review. And if you see other reviews there, uh, click that they were helpful. Apparently, that helps us. And if you do a review on iTunes, please tell us if you're, you know, 
uh, outside of Canada, so I can change the region and actually read your review and read it on the show and uh, praise you for your review, even if it's a negative review. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but until then, uh, we're going to be coming back with something. I think Daniel and I will be discussing that as soon as we finish the show. We'll figure out what we're going to do. Uh, but we're coming back with some more crime films for you, the listener. And until then, Daniel, thank you very much for joining me. I really only do this for us. I don't do this for the listener. Like, I record this. I record this for us. I respect This that. is my drunken hangout time. That's, that's, all this, that's all this podcast is to me. I respect your commitment to <laughs> hating viewers. Uh, but uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back next time. Goodbye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For past episodes, links to the host's other stuff, and links to various podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can also find our iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook links. Please join our Facebook group, as this is the best way to get in contact with us and to keep up to date with what's coming up on the podcast. We also can be found as part of the Oi Spaceman family of podcasts at oispaceman.com, where you can find various sci-fi-themed podcasts about Doctor Who, Red Dwarf, Firefly, and classic sci-fi novels. If you decide to subscribe to us through iTunes, please take a moment to leave us a star rating and a review. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>